Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Inside the BACB. I'm Dr. Jim Carr, the organization's CEO, and I'm joined today by our Director of Ethics, Dr. Tyra Sellers. Hey there, everybody. This is the latest episode in our series covering the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts that was published in December of 2020. As a reminder, this new version goes into effect January 1st, 2022. So in our last episode in the series, we covered Section 1, Responsibility as a Professional. And this episode, we're going to dive into Section 2, Responsibility in Practice. That's right. Section 2 really covers general requirements for practicing certificates. In this episode, we're gonna do the same thing that we have in the past, go through each of the standards in this section, focusing on sort of what's been edited, what's new, what's missing, um, and just give a general overview. So section two, responsibility and practice, uh, it includes 19 ethics standards, and it's largely uh, based on content from sections two, three, and four of the current code, the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. Now, at 19 ethics standards, this is the largest of the six sections in the new code, and it includes all of our standards directly related to practice. So let's get to it. As before, I'll read each of the 19 ethics standards, and then Tyra will provide some commentary. So 2.01 is titled Providing Effective Treatment, and it states, behavior analysts prioritize clients' rights and needs and service delivery. They provide services that are conceptually consistent with behavioral principles based on scientific evidence and designed to maximize desired outcomes for and protect all clients, stakeholders, supervisees, trainees, and research participants from harm. Behavior analysts implement non-behavioral services with clients only if they have the required education, formal training, and professional credentials to deliver such services. Wow. Well, those were a lot of words, Um, and it's actually really important that this specific standard starts Section 2, and you may be asking yourself, why is it important? Well, it's important because this standard clearly places clients' needs and rights as paramount. So the standard goes on to set expectations that services are founded on scientific evidence, which is important in our profession, that they're in line with behavioral principles, that provides a standard against which certificates can evaluate services. Probably the most critical part of this standard is the requirement that services must be designed to both maximize the desired outcomes of services and protect clients and others from harm. So really both sides of the coin need to be purposely considered from the very outset of service delivery. Finally, the last part of the standard serves as a reminder that, you know, if a certificate provides any non-behavioral services, they really have to make sure that they have the necessary required training to do so. Thanks, Tyra. I appreciate you clarifying that this standard was purposely placed uh, as uh, the first one in the section. All right, moving on, 2.02 is titled Timeliness. And it states that behavior analysts deliver services and carry out necessary service-related administrative responsibilities in a timely manner. This one is short and sweet. As a standalone standard, it's new and it focuses on making sure that practitioners, um, you know, are not purposely or inadvertently causing delays in access to services or service-related actions, things like intake, transition activities, or whatnot. Yeah, and you know any practitioners out there who are listening to this, 
if you do find yourself overworked uh, with lots of delays and difficulty getting to these administrative uh, related responsibilities, that's an opportunity for behavior change. So we have uh, lots of tools for self-management and these kinds of environmental circumstances should trigger their use. All right, the next standard is 2.03, protecting confidential information. And it reads, behavior analysts take appropriate steps to protect the confidentiality of clients, stakeholders, supervisees, trainees, and research participants, prevent the accidental or inadvertent sharing of confidential information, and comply with all applicable confidentiality requirements, for example, laws, regulations, and organizations' policies. The scope of confidentiality includes service delivery, for example, live teleservices, recorded sessions, documentation and data, and verbal, written, or electronic communication. Yeah, so this standard around protecting confidential information incorporates a few different sections from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code, like the sections related to rights and prerogatives and those about confidentiality. Because this section, too, sets the overarching requirements around ethical practice, the language is really broad here, and that's why you had to read so many examples and there are so many semicolons. More specific language around confidentiality appears in subsequent sections in this code, and those address more narrow areas like clients, public statements, or research. Okay, standard 2.04 is disclosing confidential information, and it's kind of a follow-up to 2.03. So 2.04 states, behavior analysts only share confidential information about clients, stakeholders, supervisees, trainees, or research participants, one, when informed consent is obtained, two, when attempting to protect the client or others from harm, three, when attempting to resolve contractual issues, four, when attempting to prevent a crime that is reasonably likely to cause physical, mental, or financial harm to another, or five, when compelled to do so by law or court order, when behavior analysts are authorized to discuss confidential information with a third party, they only share information critical to the purpose of the communication. Exactly right. Certificates obviously need to protect confidential information, but they also need to be aware of when and how they can share confidential information. This standard clearly outlines those conditions, but it's important to note that the enumerated list is an or, not an and. Also, the last part of the standard serves as a reminder that, you know, if a certificate needs to share confidential information with a third party, somebody who is not the direct recipient of services, the primary caregiver, legally authorized representative, you have to actively protect the client's rights to confidentiality by only passing along the information that is critical to the reason for that communication. You can't just share whatever you want. And that reason should be driven by one or more of the conditions that are listed in 2.04. So that leads us into 2.05, documentation, protection, and retention. It reads, behavior analysts are knowledgeable about and comply with all applicable requirements. For example, BACB rules, laws, regulations, contracts, funder and organization requirements for storing, transporting, retaining, and destroying physical and electronic documentation related to their professional activities. They destroy physical documentation after making electronic copies or summaries of data, for example, reports and graphs, only when allowed by applicable requirements. 
And when a behavior analyst leaves an organization, these responsibilities remain with the organization. All right, so 2.05 in the new code draws on content from several elements from 2.0 of the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code. Specifically, it combines language from maintaining records, documenting professional work and research, records and data. Following the theme of providing broader language to guide practice, 2.5 places the burden on certificant to know about and comply with the relevant requirements that are applicable around retaining and destroying service records. Yeah, and I think uh, a really nice addition to the standard is the final sentence. When a behavior analyst leaves an organization, these responsibilities remain with the organization. You know, we've received a number of questions over the years about this kind of scenario and just wanted to make it clear that for obvious reasons, document related obligations need to remain with the organization after a behavior analyst leaves it. Yep. So the next standard is 2.06, Accuracy in Service Billing and Reporting. And this standard reads, behavior analysts identify their services accurately and include all required information on reports, bills, invoices, requests for reimbursement and receipts. They do not implement or bill non-behavioral services under an authorization or contract for behavioral services. If inaccuracies in reporting or billing are discovered, they inform all parties, for example, organizations, licensure boards, funders, correct the inaccuracy in a timely manner and document all actions taken in the circumstance and the eventual outcomes. 2.06 in the new code is really similar to the 2.13 language in the professional and ethical compliance code about accuracy and billing reports. It also pulls a bit from the language around avoiding false or deceptive statements. The main difference is that we added in more examples and we broadened the scope so that 2.06 applies not only to billing activities, but it also applies to all of the activities related to required reporting about services. So things like initial assessment reports, treatment plans, progress reports, that kind of stuff. Okay, the next standard is 2.07 and it is titled fees. Uh, this standard states, Behavior analysts implement fee practices and share fee information in compliance with applicable laws and regulations. They do not misrepresent their fees. In situations where behavior analysts are not directly responsible for fees, they must communicate these requirements to the responsible party and take steps to resolve any inaccuracy or conflict. They document all actions taken in the circumstance and the eventual outcomes. Yeah, not much changed really here. Basically, certificates have to know and comply with the relevant laws and regulations around their fees and the sharing of that kind of information. So that takes us on to standard 2.08 communication about services. This reads, behavior analysts use understandable language in and ensure comprehension of all communications with clients, stakeholders, supervisees, trainees, and research participants. Before providing services, they clearly describe the scope of services and specify the conditions under which services will end. They explain all assessment and behavior change intervention procedures before implementing them and explain assessment and intervention results when they are available. They provide an accurate and current set of their credentials and a description of their area of competence upon request. So the language in this standard combines a few elements across different sections in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code, and it didn't change too much. 
The standard's important because it's about us being accessible to clients and stakeholders about explaining what the services will look like and what those services will involve. But there is a subtle addition that I think is really critical. Is that the addition of the requirement around ensuring comprehension of communication? Yeah, you bet it is. I think that's really important because, you know, it's not enough to just give information to relevant individuals. The language in 2.08 sets the clear requirement that certificates have to go beyond just sharing information and they have to take steps to make sure that their communication partner actually understands the information that was provided. This could be done in a variety of ways. For example, you could ask open-ended questions. You could ask the recipient to summarize the info in their own words. This also really applies to situations where there may be language differences between the certificant and the relevant individual. So certificants are going to need to ensure that the information provided is consumable in a meaningful way by the recipient. So basically, it's a functional approach to communication with others. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, go figure. All right. Standard 2.09 is involving clients and stakeholders, and it reads, Behavior analysts make appropriate efforts to involve clients and relevant stakeholders throughout the service relationship, including selecting goals, selecting and designing assessments and behavior change interventions, and conducting continual progress monitoring. So this standard isn't exactly new, but it is much broader than the language and the professional and ethical compliance code, right? Yeah, it's more specific and it requires involvement across the whole relationship as opposed to just during the planning of behavior change program stage. I think it is important to note that the requirement really carries that involvement through activities related to ongoing progress monitoring of the service program. So standard 2.10 moves us from client-focused involvement to collaborating with colleagues. And this one states, behavior analysts collaborate with colleagues from their own and other professions in the best interest of clients and stakeholders. Behavior analysts address conflicts by compromising when possible, but always prioritizing the best interest of the client. Behavior analysts document all actions taken in these circumstances and their eventual outcomes. 2.10 in the new code is a mixture of language from the sections in the professional and ethical compliance code around consultation and third-party involvement in services. 2.10 here is really about clarifying that certificates need to engage with colleagues in a manner that primarily benefits clients and stakeholders. We have to put them first. You know, this means that we need to recognize the important contributions of other professions and professionals, whether that's other behavior analysts or professionals like psychologists, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, and all of that relative to the collaborative treatment of clients. All right, the next standard is 2.11, obtaining informed consent. The standard reads, behavior analysts are responsible for knowing about and complying with all conditions under which they are required to obtain informed consent from clients, stakeholders, and research participants. For example, before initial implementation of assessments or behavior change interventions, uh, when making substantial changes to interventions, when exchanging or releasing confidential information or records. They are responsible for explaining, obtaining, reobtaining, and documenting required informed consent. They are responsible for obtaining assent from clients when applicable. 
Yeah, so this one is also really broad and again, places the burden on the certificate to know about and comply with the requirements related to obtaining informed consent. That's going to be different depending on a given context. Mm -hmm. It's also been expanded to indicate that certificates need to know when assent needs to be obtained. Yeah, and I think another important thing to point out about 2.11 is that the term informed consent was used as opposed to just consent. So there's a definition of informed consent in the glossary. Actually, there are two definitions. One is specific to informed consent in the context of service or research. And the second is specific to informed consent in the context of using or sharing information. These definitions are instructive and include specific steps that need to be followed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those definitions have been significantly revised to provide more guidance to certificants. All right, the next standard is 2.12, considering medical needs. The standard states, behavior analysts ensure to the best of their ability that medical needs are assessed and addressed if there is any reasonable likelihood that a referred behavior is influenced by medical or biological variables. They document referrals made to a medical professional and follow up with the client after making the referral. I think this one's pretty straightforward. Not too much has changed. Really, the big difference is that the language clearly indicates that certificates need to do their very best to make sure that medical needs are addressed, um, as they usually have little to no control over a client actually accessing medical services, other than making the recommendation and facilitating connections to providers or services for the caregiver. Okay, the next standard is 2.13, and it's titled Selecting, Designing, and Implementing Assessments. Uh, and it reads, before selecting or designing behavior change interventions, behavior analysts select and design assessments that are conceptually consistent with behavioral principles that are based on scientific evidence and that best meet the diverse needs, context, and resources of the client and stakeholders. They select, design, and implement assessments with a focus on maximizing benefits and minimizing risk of harm to the client and stakeholders. They summarize the procedures and results in writing. Now, this language is pretty similar to 3.01 of the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code, right? But maybe with the difference that there's more specificity in terms of considering context and resources. Yeah, yep, that's correct. Also, the specific language requiring that assessments must be designed to maximize benefits and minimize risk is new, as well as the requirement that assessments should result in a written document. All right, well, that takes us to 2.14, which is similar, but is specific to selecting, designing, and implementing behavior change interventions. And this standard reads, behavior analysts select, design, and implement behavior change interventions that, one, are conceptually consistent with behavioral principles, two, are based on scientific evidence, three, are based on assessment results, four, prioritize positive reinforcement procedures, and five, best meet the diverse needs, context, and resources of the client and stakeholders. Behavior analysts also consider relevant factors, for example, risks, benefits, and side effects, client and stakeholder preference, implementation efficiency, cost effectiveness, and design and implement behavior change interventions to produce outcomes likely to maintain under naturalistic conditions. They summarize the behavior change intervention procedures in writing, for example, in a behavior plan. Yeah, that one is a mouthful, and you are getting to read an awful lot um, in section two. 
So thank you for that. Part of the reason that this standard is so lengthy is that it incorporates elements from treatment slash intervention efficacy, behavior analytic assessment, conceptual consistency, and individualized behavior change programs across standards 2.0, 3.0, and 4.0 in the professional and ethical compliance code for behavior analysts. So we really condensed a lot of standards into just one here. One really exciting inclusion for this one is that certificates must purposefully design behavior change programs with an eye toward maintenance and generalization for long-term client and stakeholder benefits. So that's a really cool addition. Agreed. Next is 2.15, minimizing risk of behavior change interventions. So, you know, whereas minimizing risk during assessment procedures was incorporated into 2.13, It's covered in its own standard related to interventions. Mm -hmm. So 2.15 states, behavior analysts select, design, and implement behavior change interventions, including the selection and use of consequences, with a focus on minimizing risk of harm to the client and stakeholders. They recommend and implement restrictive or punishment-based procedures only after demonstrating that desired results have not been obtained using less intrusive means or when it is determined by an existing intervention team that the risk of harm to the client outweighs the risk associated with the behavior change intervention. When recommending and implementing restrictive or punishment-based procedures, behavior analysts comply with any required review processes, for example, a human rights review committee. Behavior analysts must continually evaluate and document the effectiveness of restrictive or punishment-based procedures and modify or discontinue the behavior change intervention in a timely manner if it is ineffective. Yep, so like 2.14, 2.15 combines several aspects from the language across a bunch of different elements in 4.0 in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code, and it's really pretty similar. One difference is there's a bit more specificity around the steps required before and during implementation of restrictive procedures. Okay, so we're down to the remaining four standards in section two. Standard 2.16 is describing behavior change interventions before implementation. It reads, before implementation, behavior analysts describe in writing the objectives and procedures of the behavior change intervention, any projected timelines, and the schedule of ongoing review. They provide this information and explain the environmental conditions necessary for effective implementation of the behavior change intervention to the stakeholders and client when appropriate. They also provide explanations when modifying existing or introducing new behavior change interventions and obtain informed consent when appropriate. So this is another standard that draws on several elements from the professional and ethical compliance code, right? Yeah, for sure. It pulls from the general language in 4.0, behavior analysts and the behavior change program, as well as describing behavior change program objectives and describing conditions for behavior change program success in that same section. Really, 2.16 provides more specific parameters for the steps that need to be taken and the timing of those steps. And it includes the requirements for making modifications to programming or when introducing new programming to be clear that one initial review and consent at the start of programming would not be sufficient in most cases. Okay, 2.17 is collecting and using data. And this standard reads, Behavior analysts actively ensure the appropriate selection and correct implementation of data collection procedures. 
They graphically display, summarize, and use the data to make decisions about continuing, modifying, or terminating services. 2.17 or 2.17 is one of my favorites, and it represents a new standalone standard that was pulled really from several different elements and language throughout the professional and ethical compliance code. So it might feel new because it's standing all by itself now, but it's not really. Um, it's just that that language has a home now in its own specific standard. Well, and, and as it should, uh, collecting and using data for behavior analysts. <laughs> right. Okay, so the next standard is 2.18, Continual Evaluation of the Behavior Change Intervention. This standard reads, behavior analysts engage in continual monitoring and evaluation of behavior change interventions. If data indicate that desired outcomes are not being realized, they actively assess the situation and take appropriate corrective action. When a behavior analyst is concerned that services concurrently delivered by another professional are negatively impacting the behavior change intervention, the behavior analyst takes appropriate steps to review and address the issue with the other professional. Not much to say about this one. I mean, keep a close eye on the data and make database decisions to address any needs. So last but not least is standard 2.19. It's titled, addressing conditions interfering with service delivery. And it reads, behavior analysts actively identify and address environmental conditions. For example, the behavior of others, hazards to client or staff disruptions that may interfere with or prevent service delivery. In such situations, behavior analysts remove or minimize the conditions, identify effective modifications to the intervention, and or consider obtaining or recommending assistance from other professionals. Behavior analysts document the conditions, all actions taken, and the eventual outcomes. Yeah, this standard really didn't change too much. The biggest change is just that the language is a little bit more specific in terms of providing more examples, and it includes steps for how a certificate might address those barriers. Well, that brings our review of Section 2, Responsibility and Practice, to an end. And thank you so much for reading all of that text <laughs> and reviewing the section with me. I hope that our listeners find these summaries helpful as they become more familiar with the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Inside the BACB. Stay tuned for more episodes in this series. Take care, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.